on average, people spend 37 minutes a day with their loved ones. That's not enough. So I don't know about you, but 37 minutes a day is definitely not enough because we're so busy with our work, with our bills, with obligations that takes that precious time away. Some days, perhaps I spend even less time, but I would love to create enough income that I can enjoy more time and help others along the way. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Alex Kolodenko. Alex is a multifamily syndicator and private money raiser here in the Bay Area, specializing in helping business professionals invest in tax-efficient real estate funds that produce heavy cash flow. In this episode, Alex will be telling us his story of how he got into real estate investing and the different lessons that he's learned from investing with other groups before creating his partnership. If you enjoy this episode, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. Enjoy. All right, Alex, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and what do you do? Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Alex Kolodinko. I live currently in uh, Bay Area. I'm a real estate investor that specializes in helping busy professionals to create a passive tax-efficient uh, income cash flow. I have been investing for 10 plus years. I have lived in Bay Area for 25 plus years. Originally, I'm from uh, Ukraine and uh, married uh, two boys busy professional myself, still uh, working uh, in the tech industry where I've been close to 20 years, uh, specifically in Silicon Valley. And I'm very excited and happy to be on the show. Thanks for having me, Sean. Absolutely. And uh, I think I first met you when you were presenting at one of Tom's meetups back in May of last or back in May of this year. And I recently saw you in Denver at the uh, Raising Private Money Summit. Correct. Yeah. So go ahead and tell us, what are you doing now in real estate? So my focus right now is uh, specifically on uh, commercial real estate, on bigger deals, right? So I help busy professionals to become passive investors. So I work with a lot of investors specifically in the area, but I do have some investors in other parts of, of the country. So my role, I would say, and define as an investor relationship liaison between investors. So I read out a lot of deals myself. And then if I see a deal that I personally would invest in, such as cash flow in apartment building or a hotel or sort, sort of interesting storage unit. We have also explored assisted living as well. Then I present the deal to my uh, investor contact list of people that I think uh, would benefit from the deal as well. Nice. And how did you get into it? So over time, uh, my story in real estate investing started uh, really small where uh, I started uh, investing in single family homes. As many of the people in the beginning, they, they could not think or be able to afford you know, to buy a large apartment building, right? So if you think about an apartment building, you know, they are, tend to be on the expensive side. So we're talking about you know, millions of dollars so in order to come up with a large down payment you do need significant amount of money. So my story, how I got started was I was excited about Airbnb uh, projects. So I have been looking and exploring different areas where, where to invest. Uh, for some time, I followed the trends. I'm a tech guy, right? So I look into analytics, job market trends, uh, rent to price ratios. So I... <laughs> 
build the heck out of a lot of people until I got a really sweet deal. And I closed about three years ago on my first deal in Orlando, where I found uh, on a market deal that was listed on MLS, a four-bedroom house that was converted to one of the bedrooms as a fifth bedroom. And I got excited about that and I made the acquisition and it was cash flowing for a couple of months until some repairs started to <laughs> happen to the to my house, right? And after about a year or so, I realized that this was definitely not a scalable model going forward. So my original plan was I was about to purchase 10 single family homes for myself, 10 single family homes that I would finance all of them for my wife and just would wait for appreciation and, you know, enjoy the cash flow, passive income lifestyle, right? But after seeing even one house that didn't turn out to be as projected cash flow positive as I expected, I, I kind of decided to find out, okay, what else is out there? So from then on, I started to get involved into money lending, where I would loan some of my funds to rehab, rehabbers, flippers, right? So I was doing okay with that for, for a while, but then I realized the profits from those investments were not as tax efficient, right? And um, since I am a busy professional myself, I do care about the after-tax income of that particular investment. So I started to look around what else is out there. In the meantime, I, I did try to partner up with other people on the, on the flip. Uh, we, bought a, uh, we bought a land in uh, Washington, close to Seattle, and we decided to build a home and the project took way too long. We under-budgeted, so that, that bummed out. That didn't work well. And, but I, I kept going and I kept looking for other ways where I could find sort of my own niche, right, in real estate. Because as we all know, there's a lot of people that are very wealthy and because of real estate investing, because it, it's a, one of the best tax efficient specifically investments that you, you can see out there. So I kept going. I kept attending meetups. I kept going to different events, read books, and syndication and commercial real estate investing was very attractive, but I didn't know where to start. So my story when it comes to real estate, commercial side of investing was geared towards syndications through crowdfunding platforms. So I was one of those early crazy uh, investors that had enough risk to start investing through crowdfunding platforms such as Realty Shares. Uh, long story short, I started investing and I put quite a bit of capital into that. Ever since then, the company did close, went out of business completely, Realty Shares. I, I still do hold a lot of assets, including some apartment buildings, some hotels, some fix and flips. I did exit on some of them, some of them completely bummed out. But ever since then, I continued to specifically focus on commercial. And there's a few reasons for that, right? So if you think about commercial real estate investing, the advantages of scalability model was very attractive to me. So if you think about an apartment building, when we buy, there's about 200 units. We're looking at the minimum of 100 right now. And if at least at the bare minimum, 10 of them are currently vacant, you're still okay, right? Because you have 90% of others that are still paying you rent. But there is a one single family home that you own and you have a problem tenant. That's unfortunate, but your cash flow projections are, are totally wiped out, right? So I like that component and I really, really like the tax efficiency of passive cash flow, right? Because for me, as a busy professional that, may, that still has a W-2 job, being able to receive cash flow that is tax efficient, that I don't have to pay taxes because of depreciation and other business expenses that are passed on to you as an investor is really, really attractive. 
And then at some point, you decided to raise funds for other people's deals. How did you start getting to that piece of the business? So at first, it was sort of an idea. So in the beginning, I was a passive investor. That's how you start, right? So you invest in other people's deals. And after a while, let me just back step uh, back forward a little bit is from the tax efficient perspective, when I started to receive or hear about the tax efficiency of the commercial real estate, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was illegal. I thought it was, it was sort of a scam. It's not possible, right? But then I understood that, you know, it is perfectly legal. It is something that a lot of uh, people take an advantage of it. If you structure it correctly, there is a legal side of it. So... I have talked to quite a bit of different uh, commercial uh, syndicators and investors, as well as tax professionals and CPAs that specifically work in that real estate sphere, right? And once I found out and proved to myself that this model actually does work, I started to think about it, well, what could I do? in order to help others. You know, what, what, what is my X factor when it comes to commercial real estate? As you know, real estate is a team game, right? So there's, you have a team of people that work together on large acquisitions, such as, you know, 200 or so units, right? So we have a, a person on our team, uh, some partners that, you know, look for the deals, that work on asset management, that work on rehabs. And in my case, since I work in Silicon Valley, my partner and I decided that we're going to help to work on investor relationship and just educate people about these opportunities. So that's how we decided to end up working as capital raisers and helping other people to educate, to take advantage of this opportunity. Because to be honest with you, not a lot of people do know about such opportunity that is out there. Yep. And you're out there helping people with their taxes and finding a great investment as well. Yes. And building wealth, right? I mean, ultimately, we all want one thing, which is, you know, being happy and have financial freedom. And in order to do that, one of the best vehicles is real estate. So we recently formed a company. We're called the Wealthy Mind investments. And the whole idea behind that was we're big Tony Robbins fan. We really love Napoleon Hill. And the idea behind the name was created in my mind is that if you think about the idea of wealth and abundance and prosperity does start in the mind, right? And it can be manifested to take an action. And we're basically using real estate as a vehicle to create abundance from the mindset, right? So you, you create a an abundance in your mind, and then you pass this on as a vehicle, as, as a sort of creating that wealth and abundance and a financial freedom that we all want. Yep. And so what are some of the tax advantages that you were seeing when you were first looking into uh, multifamily commercial real estate? So one of the best things, as I described earlier, maybe I'll just give you an example of some of the investments is obviously the taxation, the tax the cash flow, right? So the dividends that a passive investor receives is upset by expenses that are passed on to you because when you become a passive investor, you're part of a group of a pool of investors. So you invest with others as well. And at the end of the year, you're going to get what's called K1. It's a form, a distribution form that you need to report on your tax returns. Right. So there's a couple of key areas that you need to focus on. So number one is there is a box one that talks about expenses and capital expenditures. 
So when we acquire a property, we try to acquire a property that is off-market deal, that is that needs some additional value add, that we feel comfortable that if we execute according to our business plan, we can lightly rehab it over the next six, at the very most two years since the acquisition, and then sell it by increasing the profit while we're holding the property by increasing the rents, right? But in the meantime, while we are spending some money on it, that's part of the business plan. We're able to pass on those business expenses related to rehab, to improvements to the property on the cost segregation side, including depreciation costs to you as an investor. So it offsets the dividends while you're receiving the cash flow, either on a monthly or a quarterly basis, right? So on paper, on K1, at the end of the year, you might have a large loss, but in reality, you will have a tax-efficient dividend that you're not going to be able to have to pay taxes on. Right. And so unlike if you bought, let's say, a dividend stock where you get 5% a year, usually you have to pay all that money from your dividend in taxes. But because you have all this depreciation, and like you said, cost segregation with accelerated depreciation, yeah, it's offset. So you get it all from your tax yeah, credit. Exactly. And uh, I do uh, get a loss a lot from some of the tech people as well. You know, why can't I just, you know, invest in REITs, invest in dividends, paying stocks? You could. It is more liquid, right? But at the same time, the dividends are going to be paid out to you and then you're going to have to pay short-term taxes, you know, short-term either capital gains or dividends. And they're they're going to be taxed at a different tax bracket based on, you know, what what income that you're receiving, right? So because of that, a huge difference that is a tax efficient income. You can build on that until you have enough money, you know, to live off your <laughs> passive investment. That's the ultimate goal for me and many others is to have enough income that even though you love your job, I personally love my job, but I would rather have an option to walk away from the job by having enough tax efficient passive cash flow. Absolutely. Are there any other tax advantages besides the depreciation? Besides depreciation, there is others, uh, as I mentioned, you know, there's cost segregation and those uh, business expenditures uh, that are being raised, that are being passed on to you as a limited partner, as a passive investor that offsets uh, those dividends. As well as until we sell, there is no capital gain that you pay. So when we do sell, you will be subject to paying capital gain on a gain from your original investment, right? But since the typical hold is uh, longer than one year, you're going to be subject to long-term capital gain versus short-term capital gain, right? In some instances, uh, another advantage is you can actually defer paying the capital gain as well by either exercising 1031 exchange into another uh, deal-like exchange, right? Or if any of you are familiar, is there is a big buzz in the industry, specifically in real estate around opportunity zones, right? So you can completely wipe out potentially your capital gain by investing into one of those tax opportunity zones. Now keep in mind that there are sometimes, you know, a very long time horizon period where you might you might have to tie up your capital for 10 plus years, but then it's a great way if you if you have the time horizon in your in your place to defer and wipe out your capital gain completely, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And how are you finding these deals that you are uh, helping to raise funds for? So that's a good question. So there's a couple of things. My inbox is always full uh, of new deals. I keep getting them every day or so. 
I have created a lot of partnerships and you know friendships with a lot of people. So I vet out the partners. I vet out their track record. I vet out, you know, is this the deal that I personally would like to participate? You know, we, we do have a very strict criteria, you know, who do we want to work with and what kind of deals that we decide to invest our own funds. And just by just going out and, you know, meeting people just uh, last week, I was at Dallas. It's one of the probably best cash flowing and high growth potential markets in the country. And I, I have met with about five people, some of them just starting out as being new syndicators and some of them have done you know, 20, 30 transactions, right? So I'm constantly on the lookout for new partners and new deals that I personally feel comfortable that meet our guidelines and criteria to work to know, you know, who are we comfortable is before we present those kind of opportunities to our investor friends and family. So do you go up, up to them at like conferences or meetups and tell them ahead of time, hey, I help raise funds. And if you yeah. have a deal in the future, let me know. And if it works out, I'll help you raise funds for your next deal. Yes, that's correct. So this is why I recommend to a lot of people, if they're interested in doing this on more an active side of role or be more involved is it's a great idea to attend those conferences and meet people, you know, face to face to understand what their goals are, what their track record, what their objectives, what their business plan looks like, and just get to know them on a personal level. Because end of the day, it is a real estate, is a team game, and you are there for the long haul with a lot of people. So typically, Typical holds could last, you know, anywhere from two to five, sometimes seven years, right? You got to be very comfortable and cautious about working with somebody that you feel comfortable, that aligns with your vision and with your goals and your plans and criteria. So, for example, what kind of a partner are you looking for uh, when you're out there talking to different people? Yes, that's a good question. So I, my partner and I, uh, we're looking for a specific type of person, you know, obviously, who has a track record who has done full cycle, who has not only started the syndication business, but has actually exited on some of the deals and closed some of the transactions and sold. Uh, We're also looking for partners with local boots on the ground. We do not feel comfortable working with somebody who does the remote uh, rehab. We're looking for somebody with boots on the ground who's local in that particular market where the property is located. We're also looking for somebody, obviously, as I said, with team of other people who can manage the rehab, who can manage the asset after the acquisition. We're looking for people that have done you know, more than five, 10 deals at the bare minimum. We're looking for somebody, like I said, who has exited, who has done multiple deals. Like I said, working with somebody who we just get along. You know, We can have a good time, we can have a drink, we can talk about other things beyond uh, real estate, right? So our vision and our personalities have to match. Yes, beyond just business, you want to be exactly. We just need to, yeah, we just need to. You know, end of the day, you know, we just want to be friends with with these people, and if we don't feel comfortable working with them, then we're gonna have to pass on. Makes sense. And what is the expectation on your part for raising funds? So we typically do get on a commitment level from uh, equity partners of a million dollars minimum. We understand that we do go below that. A lot of times financially it doesn't really make sense. Our commitment to other partners is to have a raise of a million dollars minimum. Okay. And you're confident that you're able to do that? Like, was yes. it scary your first time? Like, how many million bucks? We have been in this space with my partner for a while. 
And uh, we do have a quite a bit of network. We have been local in Silicon Valley for 20 plus years. And uh, we feel pretty confident we can deliver on that. And, you know, let's face it, our competition is the Wall Street. And we do know a lot of accredited investors, specifically in the tech space. And for them, real estate is a great investment in addition to their stock portfolio, right? Because 95% of them are very heavily undiversified. They're only in the stock market per se. And, you know, we're getting to that level we live in a very funny, volatile times, right? So right now, there's a lot of talk that we could be close to recession, right? So I think it's a great time to relook and have a deeper look into real estate, specifically commercial, from a variety of benefits, including tax efficient, passive income streams, and diversification. So when you guys were first starting to raise money, were you reaching out to family and friends and coworkers? Yes. So that's how everybody starts, right? So they know us, uh, they like us, hopefully. They trust us and, uh, you know, we've been around the, the block. So we have approached them to begin with. And then right now we're working on our website. Our website is up and running and we're looking for uh, additional uh, branding and additional content creation. And we'll be coming up with our own newsletter. We'll be coming up with uh, additional blog posts. So that's in the works. Yeah, exciting. And that's how you do it. Like when we were at the Denver conference, they were basically saying, yes. create your create your platforms. Yes, exactly. You know, thought, thought leadership. I mean, there is no secret or magic behind that. If you if you see other people that are very successful in the other industry is they have a mindset of abundance. They have a mindset of educating people and just sharing their wealth and knowledge with other people. So our mission is specifically to help busy professionals such as ourselves to do that, to achieve that. Do you have a particular market that you prefer investing in? So over the last uh, specifically five years, Dallas and Texas has been an amazing. I mean, the, the fundamentals are, are still there. Just last week, I was at Dallas, Texas, and I work in a tech company. So uh, one of the clients that I was visiting was Toyota. And Toyota has moved their entire operations from California. They were closed somewhere in LA, I believe, Torrance. And they have moved to Dallas, Texas, I, I believe it was two or three years ago. And they have combined other facilities from Kentucky as well. And the reason why I'm saying that is I just visited the parking lot and it was a gigantic, huge campus of about, I don't know, 10,000 people. I couldn't find a parking spot. And there's a lot of land in Texas. But the fundamentals are very strong and the cost of living is still very affordable there for rental market in addition to even some single family homes. But we see a tendency that a lot of millennials and a lot of older people, they do not like to live in a single family home. They would rather rent in a good apartment in a good area with low crime and you know, good school districts. Some of the younger parents obviously pay attention to that. So I, I, I'm particularly still very bullish around Dallas and Fort Worth uh, market going forward. And you mentioned uh, several times that you're still working at a tech job, which I yep. assume takes a lot of your time. I think a lot of people have the, the limiting belief that because they work full-time jobs, they aren't able to go out and try something new. How sure. are you able to juggle these things at the same time? Well, first of all, I do work a remote uh, position that always helps. I have a lot of flexibility and I'm just very super productive. I structure my day in such a way that I can get the job done. And then toward the end of the day, 
when I have a couple hours, then I devote to real estate. But, you know, cutting on commute was big for me. So my commute is from downstairs to upstairs. That helps a lot. And because I do travel, sometimes I can, in the evenings, meet up with other people as well, uh, such as either potential business partners or real estate investors. But I think it goes back to the mindset, right? So the one thing that I can ask, cannot emphasize and stress out enough is, you know, the wealth and the idea and the new lifestyle that you can create starts here. It starts in your mind. So I'm a big believer in Napoleon Hill and Bob Proctor is if you can see it in your mind, then you can have it in your hand, right? So there's plenty of people, you know, busy professionals such as myself and others that have found a way to leave a corporate job. And in the beginning, it's a lot of grind. I mean, sometimes I stand up till very dark hours, till midnight or until one or two o'clock in the morning into the weeds just to make sure that I can get things done. But I'm excited about it. I love what I do. I, you just got to do it and execute it and find a strong why. That's right. And so how did you meet your partner? You mentioned that you have a partner that you're doing this business with. Yeah, so my uh, partner, she, she is, it's a funny story. We actually did met at uh, one of the tech, uh, not tech companies, uh, mortgage companies. Uh, so we, we have a tech background. And back in uh, 2001, I was applying for a job and I didn't get the job, but he, he got the job. We applied for the same position. And it's funny how it works sometimes. And what ended up happening was he had a family emergency, so he had to move to India for a couple of weeks. And they called me back, and I ended up getting a job. And then when he came back, we had enough work for two of us. So we ended up working together for three and a half years, and that was back in 2000s, early 2000s, right? And ever since then, we kept in touch. And real estate for both of us was a passion. We have talked about it for some time in order to start and launch a company. And he's done uh, quite amazing. He has a real estate license. He has done short flippings. He has done uh, some foreclosure work. He owns a couple of uh, properties also out of state. He's also right now working on building a brand new hotel near Yosemite. We're excited about that opportunity that will possibly raise funds in the next two, three months as well. So it's just our vision and our friendship kind of aligned and we decided, you know, we should go for it. Are there any specific skill sets that you think complement each other? Like you do something better than he does and vice versa? To be honest with you, we do have very similar skill set. We both like people, we're in tech, outgoing, we're extroverts. And yes, it's true that it's good to have partners that have different skill set that can supplement each other. But in our case, we just basically like the education part. We like real estate. We're passionate about helping as many people as we could to spread the word about syndication and commercial. And then we just delegate some of the other works, some of the mundane tasks to other people. We have a marketing person, we have a web designer that we work on as well. So some of the tasks that we're not as good at, we delegate, right? And But I think the biggest thing is in regards to partnership is I think your vision has to be aligned, right? So as long as your vision, you know, where you want to go and how you want to execute on a company plan is aligned between two partners, then you'll be, you'll be doing good. Because we live in a such a day and age that you can find resources that can help you with web design, with automation, with marketing, with any other skills that you personally lack. And ultimately, your goals are to, what, like help other people obtain that financial freedom? 
So our goal is to obtain financial freedom and you know, build a strong relationship with people and help them along the way as well. Because you know, ultimately, we all want one thing, right? We want to have quality time with our family and friends. We, we all enjoy traveling. We all enjoy meeting people, you know, going to different events, learning. And if you don't have time to do that, what's important? Just the other day, somebody posted on Facebook that on average, people spend 37 minutes a day with their loved ones, with their family. And I was blown away, right? That's not enough. So I don't know about you, but 37 minutes a day is definitely not enough because we're so busy with our work, with our bills, with obligations, with so many things and errands that takes that precious time away from the people that are the, the closest to us, right? So I'm, I'm personally not okay with it. Some days perhaps I spend even less time, but I would love to create enough income that I can enjoy more time and help others along the way. I felt the same way when I was working at my old jobs. Like I'm spending more time with these people who I don't really care that much for versus people yeah. I really do love. Like, yeah, so what does that look like for you? When do you think you would be done and just do this full time? As far as the exit and going full time, my projection is three to five years, hopefully sooner. You know, the market hopefully will continue to do really well. So, you know, we can execute according to the business plan that both of us created. But it could happen even sooner, right? So we're taking, you know, it's all about massive action. We just went to Real Estate Wealth Expo last week in San Mateo, and I really like Grant Cardone, and he said, 10x, baby, you know, take massive actions. So this is what we're all about. We're scaling this business fairly quickly. We do have coaching. We do have a lot of support and all the tools. And it's about just taking as much action as we could and going after it. And uh, how many deals do you think you are trying to uh, fund the next year or so? So our goal is four to six deals next year, and we're going to raise $6 million. That's exciting. But I guess it's not a big deal if you have the confidence and you already know this is a good deal. It's well, a good opportunity. Yeah. I'm a big believer in Tony Robbins. Uh, and you know he talks about the concept of having a certainty, right? So if you position yourself where you have zero doubt in your mind, where failure is not an option, and then it's just going to happen. So I have zero doubt that we're going to execute on that, no matter what. That's right. It's going to be a guaranteed, like for sure. It is done. Yeah, it's done. And what are the, some of the challenges that you guys are facing right now? I think just uh, having some of the web designers, you know, interviewing. So it takes a lot of time to finding those trustworthy experts where with certain skills that we personally might lack. It does take a lot of time. But once we build the systems and put them in place, it's a growing pain as any business, right? So until you create that kind of a scalable system that you, you know who to work with on an ongoing basis, we don't anticipate as many changes down the road as we can once we build the system. I mean, we're continuously working and building new relationships and we just plug, we will plug in new investors as well as new partners into our system once we figure out all the kinks of it and then we're going to be unstoppable. That sounds super, super exciting. Do you have any examples of some of your best deals that you had in your past and maybe, or even some of the worst deals you had and the lessons that you learned from it? Sure. Yep. So I'll start with the, well, doesn't matter where I start. <laughs> so on the realty shares, I was invested in the intercommercial hotel. The hotel was located in close to 
Cleveland, Ohio. I don't remember the exact city name. And it was a long-term hold with the rehab of about three to five years. And it completely bummed out. There was one person I didn't do enough due diligence, uh, one managing partner on the deal. And it was really badly mismanaged. And uh, the long story short, my, my investment was completely wiped out. Luckily for me, it was not a huge amount of money, but nevertheless, it felt pretty bad. And by the way, the investment was in Best Western Hotel. So I have zero understanding how you can mess up with such a grand, great name, grand brand, right? I mean, Best Western Hotel is a great teacher hotel. It's probably not a five-star hotel, but the occupancy at the time of the position was around 60%. And it was under budgeted so badly and mismanaged on top of that, that that particular property three years later went to auction and sold for less than that it was bought for. So that's one of the unfortunately horrible stories. We all go through that. And they didn't stop me. One of the best investments in my portfolio has been hotels. I have invested in addition to apartment buildings and some other assets such as hotels, storage units. And one of the hotels that I acquired was a double tree. And the projections for the hold were about three to five years old. The company actually does specialize in hotel acquisitions only. And they were able to execute on a business plan and sell under two years, where I doubled my investment in less than two years. And while I was holding the asset, I was receiving 8% preferred, which was pretty sweet deal. Yeah, that's awesome. Going back to your first, the first one with the Best Western, you said that a big mistake you made was that you didn't look at the sponsor well enough. And as we heard at the uh, Denver conference, that sponsors can make or break a deal, just like you sure. mentioned. What would you have seen differently if you really dug deep into this guy's past? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, so I would have looked into a deeper track record. I would join a webinar. I would definitely reach out to them. And if they're not able to answer some questions regarding the deal, I would definitely walk, walk away from it. And right now, I have completely changed uh, the business model and my investment philosophy going forward, right? Because remember, I started as a passive investor and investing through crowdfunding platforms, right? And I didn't know any of those people. I would just go online, do my own research, you know, checked out with my limited knowledge that at that time that the deal looked attractive. There was a few deals that the person has done and I felt comfortable investing. And nowadays what I do is I actually do want to meet potential partners. You know, I, I want to know whether we have a synergy. I do not feel comfortable just handing out a check to somebody without knowing them, without understanding their vision, right? And without having deeper conversations, not only about the track record, but about their goals. And I do check references for their investors as well, by the way. So let's say they did exit it on some of the deals. I want to know, did they pay dividends while they were holding? Did they execute on the plan according to projections that they had earlier that they were presented to them before the acquisition, right? That's very important. Got it. So basically, you would do uh, more due diligence on the sponsor. And instead of just uh, looking at the paper numbers, you try to contact them and, you know, talk to them to get a better gut feeling if they know what they're doing or not. Oh, for sure. Because if you think about it, you know, there's a lot of syndicators out there. It takes a lot of work, by the way, to get a deal under contract to begin with, right? But there's a lot of components involved in closing the transaction. And that's where we come in in the picture. 
And we, we do appreciate there's a lot of work and effort involved in getting the deal done, just putting it under contract. So they might look at 100 deals, 30 of them, they might go to underwriting, and maybe 10 of them, they'll make offer and one they'll acquire, right? But in our case, we are as equity partners and capital raisers. We get bombarded with many deals in our inbox, right? And we're looking for those deals that we personally think not only look attractive on paper, but by going to the webinar, by meeting with the people, by calling them, asking them tough questions, then we wet them out, right? We want to know, are we a good team together? Can we coexist and help each other out? Are we comfortable investing our own money? Because what happens during our race is that we co-invest with you, right? We co-invest, we put our own money, we put our neck into the deal as well and have a skin in the game because we feel confident that the deal that we present to our investor database and list of contacts, including family and friends, is that we think that we wait it out and we feel confident that it will deliver according to the business plan. Mm-hmm. You're also the only person I know that's actually used Realty Shares. You want to talk about your experience on that platform? Yeah, so I have mentioned uh, earlier, uh, it it was a hit and miss. It has gone through some of the good deals, but a lot of them did bump out. So I I mentioned that Best Western deal, some of the deals that I'm still holding, they were not uh, performing as well as I was expecting them or as well as even the sponsors projected. It's been a hit and miss. Ever since they shut down, I think they did shut down, I would say probably close to a year ago. I think the, the failure was that their underwriting, how they vetted out the sponsors was very aggressive. And they didn't do enough due diligence on them. And I think because of that, a lot of the investors started to complain. And the investors that invested in real shares realized that you know that particular business model might not have lasted, right? So they basically stopped funding into another round for realty shares. I think they went through B round and then they all of a sudden decided to shut it down. Yeah, like I was going to say, it's, it's kind of hard because realty shares is a good concept where you're allowed to crowdfund, right? You have these right. crazy big projects and you can crowdfund. But on the other hand, people are kind of skeptical and they're like, if you can't fund this traditionally, does it mean that, you're, does it mean that you suck as a sponsor that you can't raise your own funds? It's, it's kind of weird, right? Well, it's a different model, right? So there is a difference between 506C where you can advertise to the public or 506B where you can not solicit investors without having pre-existing relationships. So in those cases, all of those offerings were 506C. But at the same time, if the sponsor is good, if the sponsor has you know good track record, they're still comfortable raising their own funds or giving equity to some of the capital raisers and other business parcels that they feel comfortable, they can deliver and raise the fund. When that doesn't happen, then they they go to plan B, which is, you know, put their offering on one of those crowdfunding platforms and white label it and get additional help through the platform. Yeah, it's kind of like like LoopNet, right? Like if you see a deal on LoopNet, it's probably not a good deal because it's already been passed around to a lot by the time the property gets to LoopNet, most likely all the brokers are already aware of it and they were, they were just putting it out there just to have a listing, but they probably already know who is going to sell or buy the property. Mm-hmm. So you've been in the game for a couple of years now. I'm sure you've learned a lot all the way through. Is there any things that you know now that you wish you knew back when you started? 
I think getting mentors, getting people that are experienced and be, being coachable, I think I don't have any regrets per se that I jumped in because I do have a risky uh, sort of a personality type where, where I know in the long run I'll be successful and make money. But at the same time, I think it's good to know and align yourself with people that are very experienced and listen to their advice and just get educated as much as possible before you dive in. Cool. And how can people get in contact with you? So my website, again, is WealthyMindInvestments.com. And you can send me an email at alex at WealthyMindInvestments.com. And I'm more happy to sit down and review your personal goals and to see if there is a right match between two of us, if there's a right synergy so we can get together and meet and see whether any potential future opportunities might align with your investment goals. Awesome. Well, Alex, thank you so much for sharing your story and giving me some advice on multifamily syndications. Looking forward to seeing you around. Thank you for having me on your show. Cool. Take care. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Alex has invested in several syndications before jumping in as a money raiser. The most important thing to look at is a sponsor. Check their track record and make sure they aren't being too aggressive with their underwriting. You want to go with someone who is conservative. Attend the webinars and do the due diligence. If they aren't able to answer something, double check to make sure that they're really the group that you want to invest with. Investing in real estate allows you to earn a great income while also allowing you to spend more time with your family and loved ones and spending your whole day at work. And if you're starting a business, use the Tony Robbins method and position yourself where failure isn't an option. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. And if you live in the Bay Area, Join our meetup group where we meet up in San Jose at meetup.com slash everything REI. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.